You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 20. And to celebrate episode 20, I'm going to introduce a few new segments to the show. Uh, in the past, I've been kind of doing willy-nilly, just whatever piques my interest, I will talk about it. But I'm going to give this, you know, maybe have a little bit more continuity to the podcast uh, with segments. Um, the first segment is going to be bits and pieces. That's where I just hit real quick on different articles around there, maybe say a few words about it, but don't dive deep and don't uh, go off on tangents. That's my goal in that section. Um, next section I'm well, next section I'm going to have is Altcoinville. You know that will be where I talk about Ethereum or Steemit um, or Dash, whatever is out there in the news at that time. If there's nothing really important, I will also cover like maybe white papers or something in there. The next section is going to be a featured article where I just that's where I'm going to dive deep into what's going on, maybe connect some dots with geopolitics and Bitcoin or banking and uh, military or, you know, whatever the case is. My last section is going to be Flashpoint. And that is kind of a crystal ball or prediction time for me. Um, that stuff is really fun. Now, so the featured article, I'm going to spend time like connecting the existing dots. And Flashpoint is going to be kind of going to to the next couple dots. Where are the next dots going to, going to land? And, uh, see see how that goes uh, i'm not a super expert on these matters i mean i am an economist and i've been in bitcoin for several years so i mean i do study this constantly um, so i i think i'm one of the more informed people in the space but does that make me an expert not necessarily this is all my opinion so take it for what you will my my goal in this is to give a lot of information to my listeners to help them understand what's going on in, in the space and not necessarily entertainment. There's a lot of podcasts out there that are going for entertainment. And maybe that is the way I should be doing this, but I, you know, want to help people know what's going on or at least uh don't not miss anything big that happened. And of course, you know, you can go on Reddit and see the headlines, but there's so much uh, noise out there, and I, I want to kind of pare it down and give people almost like an RSS feed to the Bitcoin space, being very informative, but also tying it into some some of the beliefs I think are are really strongly held out there, being crypto anarchists and, and things of that nature, to uh, bring this into kind of a geopolitical sphere. Um, so in, information... Being the informative podcast, that's kind of what I want to strive for. Feedback is very welcome. Uh, if you guys have stuff that you want, think that make the show better, or you want to give me constructive feedback, um, please, by all means, send it my way. I would love to hear from you. It's in pieces. My first bits and pieces topic is going to be on encryption, and this is a story from Reuters on August 11th of this year. France says, fight against messaging encryption needs worldwide initiative. 
French Interior Minister Bernard blah 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 said on Thursday he wants Germany to help him promote a global initiative. So he's going to meet with his German counterpart. Um, Germany's probably not the best place to go for this. What does what does Germany think about it? Well, first off, the, the excuse for this obviously is terrorism. We need to protect ourselves against terrorism or the uh, Islamic blowback. We need to protect ourselves against Islamic blowback. Um, but Germany isn't probably the best friend in this fight. They have an initiative called Encryption for Everyone, and they're very pro-encryption. Uh, Merkel famously had or uh, was spied upon uh, by the NSA, and so you know this this whole thing in germany is very pro encryption there's they're not going to get a foothold there in my opinion what else who else in europe well i found this thing from the netherlands earlier this year that um they came out with a report from their cabinet of advisors or whatever and um said that at quote at this point in time it is not desirable to take restrictive legal measures as regards to the development availability and use of encryption in the netherlands so I think that's pretty much the um, attitude all across Europe. Here's here's something from the EU's data protection supervisor. European citizens' communication should be protected on all mediums, including online, by telephone, or VoIP, uh, VoIP services, and across apps. Decryptions and other efforts to weaken or reverse engineer encryption should be prohibited. And that's part of the EU's e-privacy directive. Very interesting. So Europe is very pro-encryption. France is, they, they've been hit by all these, these Islamic blowback attacks. And so they're trying to push back by getting rid of encryption. Of course, the Paris attackers, they used, famously used emojis. They weren't even using encrypted messaging. They were using open in the clear messaging with emojis to stand for words or whatever. Um, so fight against encryption isn't going to stop that. If France wants a friend in this fight, they shouldn't go to Germany. They should go to the UK. The UK is uh, staunchly against encryption, fighting it at all, all the time. They also have one of the most cowed populaces. So they they are the most surveilled people in the world. I saw a statistic that daily, if you're a UK citizen, you appear on CCTV or, or surveillance cameras. 335 times a day. That's craziness. They So if France is looking for a friend, they shouldn't go to Germany, they should go to the UK. Um, the UK is still in the EU at this point. They haven't left yet. So, anyways, uh, let's, next topic is, everybody's probably heard of this leak or hack of the NSA. So the NSA had this these, they have these servers around the world where they have malware staged because they're not going to like from their place in Utah or something, they're not going to put all this malware out. They're going to stage it in different places around the world. And uh, so they had this, this honeypot of malware and backdoor type stuff that uh, information about that on this server and somehow it got hacked. Group that hacked it, they're calling themselves the shadow brokers and the NSA special ops entity is called the equation group that actually was hacked but not so fast it starting to look like it wasn't a hack and this is a story from zero hedge there's lots of sources built in here including reuters and other places um, like motherboard and even authors from books experts and things 
So I'm just going to read a few highlights here from this article. A, a more logical explanation could also be insider theft. If that's the case, it's one more reason to question the usefulness of an agency that secretly collects private information on millions of Americans but can't keep its most valuable data from being stolen, or as it appears in this case, being used against us. Um, here's another quote. Rather than the NSA hacking tools being snatched as a result of a sophisticated cyber operation by Russia or some other nation, it seems more likely that an employee stole them. Experts who have analyzed the files suspect that they date to October 2013, five months after Edward Snowden left his contractor position with the NSA and fled to Hong Kong carrying flash drives containing hundreds of thousands of pages of NSA documents. So if Snowden could not have stolen the hacking tools, there are indications that others are, that after he departed in May 2013, someone else did. Possibly someone assigned to the agency's highly sensitive tailored access operations. So that's very, very, very important. It looks like there's another Snowden. If these reporters and these authors and experts, whatever, they're saying this, obviously the NSA knows that. They know someone's inside. But that's enough about NSA Edward Snowden 2.0. Let's get on to altcoinville. Okay, the first one, obviously, is going to be from Ethereum. Uh, this is a blog post from Stefan Tool on Slockit, slock.it, and it's a personal note from Stefan Tool. He really digs deep and apologizes for all of the bad stuff that's happened and how he has had emotional responses to critics and the situations that he was involved in. I mean, it just feels so fake. And we know that Stefan Tool is a scammer through and through, 100%. No, I mean, he doesn't ever apologize for losing people's money. What he apologizes for is his emotional response to critics. And he also tries to blame it like, you know, there's constraints on a tool set and human limitations. So, of course, this was supposed to be a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, but now it's human limitations and our tool set wasn't. I mean, come on, man. You knew you were scamming people. So, so fucking stupid. You do it on a test net with a thousand dollars. Don't do it with $150 million. I mean, are people crazy? So yeah, of course he's not, he's not really repentant. He's just apologizing for being emotional, which is craziness. All right. Another one that's, that's attached to this is a blog post by Vinay Gupta. And this is on media.consensus.net. Um, he's leaving Ethereum apparently. He was, he's not a coder. He was a, like a project manager for code releases, I guess. Um, he's a very good talker. He's very well spoken. He has a British accent, so he sounds even more intelligent than he is. Um, but yeah, he's, he's leaving Ethereum. I mean, his only like qualification from what I understand is his socialist beliefs, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like he had no qualifications. He says that he's 
been in this space for a long time. He probably is like, I did hear him talk one time about the history of like cypherpunks and stuff. So he does, he's been in this space a long time, but I, I just don't see any real qualifications there other than being a socialist that can speak very well. And of course, Ethereum has these socialist ideas. But anyways, um, he's going on to this hexa yurt. It's like, um, it's one of his inventions. It's, it's a disaster shelter, I guess, very cheap and quick to put up. That sounds like a very worthwhile pursuit, Vinay. You should go do that and leave the Bitcoin space with one less scammer. I don't, I don't see Vinay as being as evil as Stefan Tool. I think he kind of is unknowingly a scammer, where Stefan Tool is definitely knowingly a scammer. So, uh, that's it for that. Alright, the next altcoinville topic here is a great blog post on Medium by Ace of Wall Street, and it's about Steam. And he goes in deeply into the history of Steam how the network actually got bootstrapped up and running. People should know by now that Daniel Larimer, the developer behind BitShares, is also behind Steemit or Steam. And there's, who knows if this like kind of anonymous dev that they're talking about in this article is Daniel Larimer. I'm going to say it probably is, um, but I have no proof of that. And it, this, this piece just is very good, goes deeply into Bitcoin talk, the forum of what happened during that time. And they have screenshots and, and everything just taken right out of there. So very well documented. Um, they have this one really long screenshot of this guy that was talking from Bitcoin talk and it's describes exactly what goes went on. So there's this developer, he dropped the network for Steam and said, okay, people, let's start mining this. Um, he left out a few key steps in his original um, instructions on how to mine. So he was mining by himself for a long time, so, uh, several hours until I think up to 24 hours later, finally these people found the bug in the instructions and started mining. No help from this anonymous developer. Then it goes overnight. This developer falls asleep and his machines stop mining. There's, you know, a bug and uh, stops mining. But everyone else is still mining. So then when he wakes up and he sees, oh, crap, I wasn't able to corner this market as much as I thought. What does he do? Well, he restarts the whole network all over from the Genesis block again so that he can make sure that he gets the most he corners the market and then it's proof of stake as well most of the steam dollars in here um it, this this article goes into there's 46 people that have 63% stake in the network and those 46 people are probably the same person or maybe two or three people daniel larmer and co or something like that it's it's just incredible this is a very, very long article, and I recommend you guys read it. It's it, this The data that's in here is just amazing, and they did a great job. I think Ace of Wall Street said he had Jackfruit, which is another guy I follow on Twitter. I follow both these guys on Twitter. They, they went through and documented this great. They also include a couple tweets from Tone Vase, uh, so 
you know, because Tone went through the white paper and just tore it apart, the steam white paper. And, yeah, so that's really good. And it says, to be continued at the end. So the bottom line here, from what I understand, the TLDR, is that the distribution of steam was very lacking. The 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 foundational ethics of steam are very suspicious and not uh, conducive to a long-term survival of this project. And also there's been a, a few other posts that I, I've seen where they talk about, you know, the actual content that's posted. If you get upvoted by one of those, by that anonymous dev or the team, the Steam team, then you will be able to make a lot of money. But if you don't get upvoted by those people, then, you know, you kind of languish. Uh, for example, some really hard-hitting content about this stuff that would be posted on Steam wouldn't get upvoted. You know, research papers or research articles that are, you know, 20-minute reads that have tons of information makes $4. But somebody that posts a makeup tutorial gets $50,000. It's crazy. And I also believe that if Steam was truly content-driven, it would be controlled by pornography. It would be 100% controlled by pornography, or vast majority. 50% to 75% would be porn, and then the rest would be like, you know, maybe some sort of knocked off, like, illegal stuff. Copyrighted material, or something like that. But it's not. That would be the stuff that would get upvoted the most. Uh, that and cat pictures, I guess. So we see that the type of content that's being upvoted is very, very curated by this small group of people uh, to push more content creators. So they upvoted this makeup tutorial so that they could get more of those type of content providers on the system and build that that sort of network effect. But it's not working. I mean, if it were real, like I say, it would be all porn and cat pictures as well as like knocked off uh, uh copyrighted material some of some sort so that's that's my take on steam and uh my take on this article very good check it in the show notes i recommend you guys reading it featured article all right for today's feature article it's more of a featured topic and it's the bitcoin core 0.13 is now being released and there's a lot of stuff in here, but the main idea that I want to get across to my listeners and things, because some people might, they might be kind of more Bitcoin, lean Bitcoin maximalist, but then they see all this development happening outside of Bitcoin and they're like, why can't Bitcoin do this development? Well, Bitcoin is doing development and this exact release shows that. Uh, almost a hundred contributors contributed to this release and five months of time and just as I think probably five months of testing as well went into this release. Um, a lot of that time has been focused on segregated witness, which um, isn't going to be activated by this release, but it, it will be activated by like a, um, the next release, which would be 0.13.1 or maybe 0.2. I mean, a minor release down down the road just a little ways but there's a lot of stuff in here that's very exciting 
And uh, this article that I want to bring up is from Bitcoin Magazine. And it's specifically talking about this release. So it's called What's New in Bitcoin Core 0.13. Goes through all of this stuff. Uh, child pays for parent. Uh, compact block support. Uh, hierarchical deterministic key generation. Performance and security. I mean, there's just so much. Oh, this is by Aaron Van Verden. He's one of my favorite authors here. Uh, okay, so there's just so much going on in this release. And anybody that can say that this Bitcoin development is stagnant is crazy. They absolutely, they do not know anything that's going on. Bitcoin Core approaches this as a very professional and mature manner. Versus, say, like Ethereum. Well, there's some people out there that say Ethereum is going to overtake Bitcoin because it's moved so fast, this development is so great. Well, look what happened. Bitcoin Core did five months of development, probably five months of testing, before they released a version update that's not even a hard fork. Ethereum spent four days writing a hard fork and four days letting people review the code before they hard forked their network. That is not mature and that is not professional. I mean, this is running like, uh, it's seriously like a high school project. When you look at Bitcoin is a like production ready system. Ethereum is like some high school project. That's, that's the comparison here. And when someone says this high school project is going to overtake Bitcoin, it, it's just, it's laughable, honestly. Okay, so I don't want to walk through everything because, you know, I don't understand it 100%. I know there's a lot of cool stuff. And this article does break it down into plain English. So you guys can go through that and get, I don't want to just read this whole article to you. But there's another topic or another article that's related to this article, related to the 0.13 release that I wanted to touch on. And that is on Bitcoin.org. There was a message up at the top last week that it just appeared. And it said, be extra vigilant when downloading binaries from our website for the upcoming 0.13.0 release. And in there, it talked about that there have been rumors that there are going to be state-sponsored attacks of these binaries. And so the way this works is, if you want to download the new version of the software, you can do it several ways, but one of the most common ways is to download it from the website. To check to make sure you have the right version of the software or the proper file that you think you were downloading, you check it against like a hash, a signature hash. And that way you know you have the right file. If that file had been tampered with, then you know that it's not going to match. So they're saying double check that. Make sure you double check this this time, this uh, release this time, because we have heard rumors that there's going to be some sort of attack on these downloads because they're going to try to, you know, make you download a different file. State-sponsored attacks. And they specifically call out the Chinese Bitcoin community to be extra vigilant when downloading the binaries from our website. That's what it says. And a lot of people kind of jumped on this and said, oh, so uh, because this 
update or alert was written by one guy. Um, his handle's Cobra. He's an anonymous contributor. Uh, he has full access to the website. Only the website. And some of the other core contributors also have that same power, and they could come in here and change this. But a lot of people didn't want to take it down. No one wanted to take this down once they saw this up by Cobra, who supposedly has insider information somehow. They didn't want to take it down, because that would be really bad if they took it down and then people ended up getting attacked. The binaries downloads got attacked. And plus, it's not saying to do anything crazy. It's just saying, follow the standard procedures. Don't skip a step. A lot of people will just trust that they got the right file and put it on their node, and then they get their Bitcoin stolen or something, right? So the, all they're saying is use good operational security. Make sure you follow all the steps. Don't skip a step this time. I don't see why that's so bad. Of course, people jumped all over this. Some of the Ethereum community were saying that, uh, specifically that Professor Gun, he was saying look, oh, this website can be controlled by one anonymous person. This is horrible. That's why Bitcoin will never be mainstream. Give me a break. This is one person putting uh, some information on the website. And he's not like changing the whole client or changing the whole protocol whatsoever. He's just saying, follow, make sure you follow the steps. I don't see why that's so controversial. I mean, the, anonym, the anonymity of this guy is should not be controversial either. Do you want your... I mean, is the anonymity of Satoshi controversial? To some, to those uh, government apologists out there, yeah. But not to people that understand that the government is coming for Bitcoin. That Bitcoin is like um, a weapon of mass financial destruction. And they understand that. So, of course, you want to be anonymous. I actually am worried for the people that aren't anonymous, the core developers. Because that is sticking your neck out. It really is. So, those guys are very, very brave and need to be commended for doing that, what they do. But the anonymous people, it's totally understandable. And the code should speak for itself. The code is what matters, not the if you know this person or if you don't know this person. I mean, if, if there's a bug in the code, there's a bug in the code. What the fuck should it matter if you know the guy's face? Anyway, so that's enough of that. Just It's pretty big day that now 0.13 is released. We can get start getting SegWit moving forward. It, it's a good day for Bitcoin. Flashpoint. Alright, so up next is going to be Flashpoint. And this is kind of a humorous one. I have been very serious in the past with, with my talks about geopolitics and stuff. There, there is, um, an update to the Turkey situation, which I have been kind of harping on the last few episodes. Check out the video in the show notes. It's to a YouTube with, um, James Corbett. I mean, he does a great job covering this stuff. So, um, check that out. But this week, or this episode, I'm going to be talking about uh, the new president of the Philippines. 
I've seen a couple things about him recently. One was when he was talking to drug cartel members. He's like, um, well, he was, he was talking about the drug cartel members to his, his people. And he was saying, Hey, if you have a gun and you see some drug cartel members, go kill them. You have my permission. I won't do anything to you. And if you're into drugs, you better watch out because I'm going to kill you. And it's just crazy that people are comparing him to like Donald Trump and stuff. Uh, just saying whatever is on his mind. Uh, he has absolutely no regard for the status quo whatsoever. Um, he's quoted, oh, he called the U.S. ambassador to the Philippines. He called him an annoying homosexual son of a bitch. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, his recent, most recent comments now are about the UN. And I think this shows like some of the Western, um, institutions of society, uh, of the, the globe are breaking down. NATO, now the UN is getting badgered by a little old president. I mean, it's not like the Chinese premier is saying something questionable about the UN. No, these are little countries that don't give a shit anymore about the big bad UN and NATO. It's, it's quite telling, but let me read you some of these. I think you get a laugh out of these quotes here. Um, so his name is, uh, Rodrigo Duarte or Duderte, Duderte. And this is what he has to say about the UN. Maybe I'll just have to decide to separate from the United Nations. If you're that rude, son of a bitch, I'll just leave you. I don't give a shit about them. They are the ones interfering. You, you do not just go out and give a shitting statement against a country. They must have said something bad about the Philippines. Oh, this was, this was my favorite quote. He said, why are you Americans killing the black people there, shooting them down when they are already on the ground? Answer that question. Because, because even if it's just one or two or three, it's still human rights violations. I love that. I mean, Everybody can see what's going on in the United States. These left people, the the statists, they don't have a leg to stand on internationally. People are seeing through this narrative. They're seeing through the narrative of terrorism. They're seeing through the narrative of, um, you know, obedience at all costs on the street. I mean, the authoritarian nature of the United States government is showing worldwide. And it's glaring in this, this the way that... Um, People are starting to talk. Erdogan in Turkey and this Duarte in the Philippines. So it, this is a great, great read. Funny. Check it out in the show notes. That's all I have for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Check us out at BitcoinandMarkets.com. You can also find me on Twitter um, at Ansel Lindner. And that's it. See you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.